dance before the Lord. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person, by faith, accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Welcome to Parashat Emor, Speak. The address is Vaikra, Leviticus, chapter 21, verse 1, through chapter 24, verse 23. The reading date is for Shabbat, and I am the author, Torah teacher, Ariel Ben Lyman. The written commentary was updated on May the 1st of 2007. Note that all quotations are taken from the Complete Jewish Bible Translation by David H. Stern, Jewish New Testament publications incorporated unless otherwise noted. Let's begin with the opening blessing for the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bachar banu mikol ha'amim v'natan lanu et Torah to. Baruch atah Adonai noten ha-Torah. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You've selected us from among all the peoples and have given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Well, welcome to Parashat Emor. Um, last week, we focused on Kedusha, holiness, in Parashat Kedushim. And we also had a double portion in the year of 2007 with the Parashat Achremot. This week, the first two chapters of Emor focus on the Kohanim, the priests, and their separation unto holiness. That's where the um, opening of Parashat Demor um, finds us. So in a way, you could say it continues with the theme of Kedusha, holiness. Re- uh, realistically, the set of chapters that we're dealing with right here in the middle of Leviticus have been recognized by many as the holiness code. Thus, it is important for us to realize that Hashem is um, instructing the leadership uh, of course, the priests are to be the teachers of the community, along with the heads of the households and, and the heads of the communities. And so, as priests, as leaders in a high visibility position, um, they needed to take extra care, extra special care, that is, to demonstrate the holiness of Hashem. And of course, this would be um, even more so in the sight of the people. Whenever we have a leader who's going to be representing God's words and God's ways, then that leader needs to take extra special care in how he demonstrates God's leadership, especially in the eyes of the people. As we're going to find out in a future parasha, although not a priest, Moshe was the preeminent high-viz leader, and uh, his failure to demonstrate this holiness as a leader among them 
coupled with, of course, the disobedience and lack of faith that he displayed during the incident that I'm referring to. Um, and you can read Hebrews 3, 15 through 19 carefully to see where I'm going with this. Anyway, um, his lack of, of um, demonstrating God's holiness warrants his inability to enter the land of promise. So important is it for a leader to make sure that he's demonstrating the holiness of God, especially in a high visibility position. I'm not saying that holiness is not for everyone. It most certainly is. From the least to the greatest. From the greatest to the least. We all are expected to be holy. In fact, that's what we found out last week when um, we studied Parashat Kedushim, where God commanded all of Israel um, to be holy even as he is holy. Don't get me wrong. Um, as far as the book of Hebrews is concerned, and its um, recounting of Moshe's disobedience. The same chapter of Hebrews states that Moshe was indeed faithful. You can read Hebrews chapter 3, verses 2 and verse 5. However, the um, point I'm trying to make at the opening of this parasha is that um, Hashem must be... Um, what's the word I want to use? He, he must be uh, properly represented at at, at, at all times, if necessary. And, and you know, Moses messed up. And as great a man and a great a leader as Moshe was, um, Hashem was within his bounds to uh, exact a punishment that would not allow him to enter into the land. And so this disobedience must be balanced with his obedience. And, um, and this, of course, is the, uh, uh, the reality of what happened. Moshe was, in fact, faithful. And yet, he disobeyed God. He struck the rock in outburst, right, in front of all the people. He struck the rock when he was commanded to speak to the rock. And we can make midrash after midrash if we want on, well, the rock was Messiah. Yes, I know it was Messiah. Well, the Messiah was only, spoke to be struck, was only supposed to be struck once, not twice. Yes, I understand that as well. But the point is, Hashem gave a command. Moshe disobeyed. And so Hashem was within his bounds, um, within his... Um, right to uh, discipline Moshe the way he did. And from this example alone, at, le at least the way I'm describing it, we today should be able to catch a glimpse of the seriousness of representing God on a priestly slash leadership level. So for those of you who are listening to my podcast, feel that you're called into leadership, those of you who feel maybe you're called into um, some sort of priestly um, role, within your community, those of you who have the last name Cohen or something like that. Um, this, uh, this message is for you as well. Hashem will be represented correctly by his leaders. You know what, this, this, this applies to me as well. Obviously, I'm in a position of leadership. Um, I'm a Torah teacher. Uh, I'm a leader in the uh, community that I serve in. And so uh, I need to be extra, extra careful about uh, how I demonstrate God's Kedusha among the people of God, okay? Chapters 21 and 22 of our parasha contain um, various positive mitzvot as well as negative or prohibitive commandments. Viz, we find prescriptions and proscriptions in these first two, uh, two chapters. And these commandments um, that we're reading about would not be any different from some of the others that we have encountered in the book of Leviticus, except that they are specifically addressed to the Kohanim, to the priestly line. So again, um, the commandments take on an extra significance because we know that they are being, being given to the priests, and as such, they are going to be 
um, walked out first and foremost by the priests. What I mean is they become specific to them and, in some cases, should be understood only within that sense. Um, I know it's, it's common to understand that or believe that the entire Torah speaks to every one of its readers or every one of its uh, students. And that's true in a, in a more generalized sense. But every now and then the Torah stops and it addresses kings. It addresses priests. It addresses women. It addresses men. It addresses children. And we need to figure out where our station is in life before we can make proper application. We do damage to the text when we remove the context of certain commands which identify specific recipients. Okay, Not all of the commandments are to be walked out by every single person. The Torah is indeed for all to act upon. But the delegation of authority helps us to ascertain which commandments apply to whom. Okay, It makes perfect sense. It's just practical sense, really. Consequently, and I don't want to spend too much time on this issue, but when we arbitrarily apply a commandment uh, to someone for whom it was not intended, we actually destroy the clear meaning of the text, is what we do. And we misunderstand its application because we try and contextualize where there is no um, room for application. Our Haftarah portion of Ezekiel Echezkeel, chapter 44, verses 15 through 31, um, also seems to echo the same sentiment of, of ap proper application. When we read the text, the first hermeneutic principle that we should um, uh, remind ourselves of is context. Context is king. Do a structural analysis, as Pastor Mark would say in his hermeneutics class. Do a structural analysis of the who, what, when, where, and why of the text. And if you're not one of the who's in the text, then you don't have right to make um, first-hand application. The student um, should refer specifically to Ezekiel 44, 23, and verse 28 to see what I'm talking about there. All right. Let's turn now. Um, well, I'm sorry. Before we turn there, let me, um, let me do something else. I'm going to talk about the Moedim today, the feasts, the festivals, the feasts of the Lord. Before I do that... Let me um, do make a summary on chapters 21 and 22 since I'm not going to spend any more time on them after we uh, move into chapter 23. Chapter 21 and chapter 22 is summed up in the final verse of chapter 22. Let me read that from Stern's version, okay? Quote, You are to keep my mitzvot and obey them. I am Adonai. You are not to profane my holy name. On the contrary, I am to be regarded as holy among the people of Israel. I am Adonai who makes you holy, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Adonai. End quote. Now, if you're following my written notes, you'll see that the word Adonai is capitalized in all caps. And it shows up three times. Now, just, just the, the verses alone, whether or not we do a structural analysis and trying to figure out who God is speaking to, the verses are powerful. The words are powerful. This is the calling, however, of the Lord. This is the calling of the priests of the Lord. Our God is charging them with these instructions. Okay, This is the um, first recipients of what we just read, where it says, you are to keep my mitzvot and obey them. Um, this is a challenge of the leaders of the community. And remember, the priests would eventually take on the role of teaching Torah as well. In one sweeping statement, at least the way I see it, Hashem defines their divine purpose and 
calling. So listen up, those of you listening to my podcast, specifically those. In fact, I'm, I have one person in mind right now, I, a close friend of mine, Atalmida, um, whom I know uh, tunes into these podcasts, and uh, she has the last name Cohen. And so she's got a priestly call in her life. Listen up, Talmida. Hashem defines your purpose and calling while simultaneously giving an unmistakable definition of his identity and authoritative election process. Okay, You, along with the children of Israel, can proudly proclaim that we are holy because he makes us holy. And of course, that's true for anyone listening to my podcast who has named the name of Hashem, the name of Yeshua that's been given to us in the person of Yeshua, which of course is the Lord himself. We are holy because Yeshua makes us holy. And that's what we learned in last week's parasha. The statement extends to us, not just to the Kohanim, but, but, but keep in mind, from a context point of view, this first applies to the Kohanim. So my friend, my Talmida, if you're listening to the podcast, this applies to you because you're a Kohen. All right? But it extends to those of us who are not Kohanim because we have become righteous heirs through the adoption process of our great high priest, of course, Yeshua, HaMashiach. Moreover, since this statement of Hashem's contains, and, and then again, this is my Midrash, all right? Look at the passage, look at the Pasuk. It contains three references to his name. You know, I am Adonai. I am Adonai. It says, I am Adonai. I need Adonai three times. Now, this is similar to the Echad. It's, or, I'm sorry, similar to the Shema itself. You know how the Shema states, um, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. We have Adonai once, Eloheinu twice, Echad, and then Adonai the third time. And um, this is one of those mysterious passages that gives us a glimpse of the concept of the divine unity of the Holy One. Of course, again, this is Midrash that I'm talking about. And the rabbis are fond of finding verses where things are mentioned seven times, things are mentioned three times, and highlighting um, the, the significance of the uh, way the verse is structured. And so I'm doing something that's entirely um, acceptable by rabbinic standards. The Shema states emphatically that Yahweh Eloheinu Yahweh is Echad and I'm using the divine name there for the impact YHVH Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad our Lord is one Lord however he is he's a composite unity here we see in this verse as well three instances where Hashem is revealed among his children perhaps hinting at the unified nature of his three persons all right similarly our present verse states I am Adonai, your Elohim. I am Adonai. Okay? It also says that. I, I am the Lord, your God. Um, now, although verses 31 through 33 of, of um, let's see, which passage? I didn't have it in my commentary here. Give me one second. I said 31 through 33, okay, it's chapter 22. Um, although 31 through 33 summarize the primary admonition of the priests themselves, uh, I turn to the sages for, for a brief moment, and the Talmud comments on these verses in this way, okay? Let me just give you the rabbinic insight. Um, and, and again, recognizing that indeed the whole nation was chosen as a kingdom of priests, which it really was. If you'll go back and study the Torah, you'll see that God's original plan A until Israel 
kind of messed things up and God switched to plan B is that um, the entire pre the entire um, nation was called to be a kingdom of priests but God then singled out the Levites to function in that role um, at any rate the Talmud has this to say at Yoma 86a quote a Jew's primary privilege and responsibility is Kedush Hashem, sanctifying God's name through his behavior, so that people say of him, him the Jew, fortunate are the parents and teachers who raised such a person, end quote. Now that's a lofty statement, and were it not for the context of, the, um, of, of where the rabbis get the impetus for making that statement, it would seem ra rather braggardly for them to proclaim that um, Jewish people would be described this way. However, we do know that Kiddush Hashem, sanctification of God's name, that is to say, walking out the Torah so that people will see God's glory among us and that God's uh, uh, very image would be revealed through what we do, is a concept a concept that is in fact grounded in Devarim chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 4, and when we get to that parasha, we'll study that out some more, okay? Conversely, um, the uh, Talmud goes on to state, quote, Conversely, there is no greater degradation for a Jew than to act in a way that will make people say just the opposite, end quote. Again, that was taken from uh, tractate uh, Masechet Yoma 86a. What an awesome responsibility. All right? And I might add, if I were to um, allow it, be allowed to take a little bit of liberty with what the Talmud just taught me there, I would add that if you are a believer in Yeshua and you're sincere about your faith in Jesus and you've made him Lord of your life and you are seeking to please him and not please men, then I might add that that statement about the Jewish people is true for you in equal measure as well. Because in truth, both Jew and Gentile have been made one in Messiah to the degree that they are both fellow heirs and both equal covenant participants within the promises that God makes to his people. Those who name the name of Yeshua, whether Jew or Gentile, have this responsibility of Kiddush Hashem, of sanctifying God's name through their actions. So again, bringing this full circle, this awesome responsibility that the priests carried among the people is an equally important and awesome responsibility that each and every Israelite carries among the various people groups of the world. This is why we're called, people. This is why we're called. We are called to sanctify God's name through our actions. As people see what we do and ask why, the answers that we provide for them should be honest answers rooted in the Torah and grounded in the trust that we have in Messiah. We shouldn't be ashamed to explain to them, I do the things I do because I'm a child of the King. Okay? Every believer carries this responsibility. Okay? May the Holy One grant us mercy as we daily sanctify the name of the Anointed One, Yeshua ben Elohim, among the nations. Amen? Amen. Alright, let's turn now to Leviticus chapter 23, and this of course is going to be the most easily recognized feature of this parasha today. This um, next section begins on the top of page 3, if you're following along in the written notes. Next section is entitled, Moedim Festivals. Now, 
as I've already explained before, and as many of you who have followed my commentaries for any length of time will recall, the most easily recognized feature of our parasha in Leviticus chapter 23 is the listing of the Mikra Ekodesh, that is to say, the holy convocations. Now, um, we carry studies on each individual festival of uh, the listing here uh, at my website. Graftedin.com is, of course, my primary website where I park most of my commentaries. You're invited to click on the More Lessons link. Actually, from the home page, look along the top near the global navigation bar and click on Commentaries, and then from there, look either down the middle of the page or in the global navigation part in the upper, the menu part, uh, over on the upper left, and you can click on um, uh, Festivals or Feast Days. And then you can just follow along and read any one of the um, commentaries that I've written on each one of the feasts. So what I'm going to do um, is I'm going to take bits and pieces from each one of those commentaries that I wrote on each feast day uh, and I'm going to pull them all together and put them in the commentary that we're going to read today. I'm going to provide highlights from each one of us here in Parashat Emor. All right? um, before we get started I want to make this important distinction. All right? The feasts of Adonai are just that. Their feast of Adonai. Why do I even need to make this distinction? Because it seems to be that for the last, well, let me just put it this way. I was going to say for the last 2,000 years and place the blame on um, the Christian church, but you know what? I have to extend it a little further than that this time. For the last 3,300 years, there has been a misunderstanding as to who these festivals belong to. The Jewish people, for the um, uh, for the first uh, 1,500 years or so, 1,300 years or so, wrongfully assumed that these were theirs. And then for the last 2,000 years, the Christian church has wrongfully assumed that they are also the Jewish peoples. And so what we end up with is both sides, we have both the synagogue and the church, historically proclaiming that these are the feasts of the Jews. And it conveniently fits their theology. For instance, for the Jewish people for the last uh, 3,500 years or so, 3,500 years since they've been in existence, uh, give or take a couple hundred years, they have conveniently um, reserved these festivals for themselves or anyone who is a Jew. Thus, uh, I should say, conveniently excluding anyone who is not of Jewish stock. Particularly in the first century, we had this um, prevailing halakhic theology that um, taught and promoted that uh, the Torah was for Jews only. But it's unfortunate that the Christian church has picked up on that same error and and, 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 and propagated it down to this day. So that if you were to um, inquire of your average Christian, and again, I'm using the word average there as in garden variety. Obviously, there are, there are many Christians today who are coming out of the error that I'm describing and into the truth, Baruch Hashem. However, there are still a great number of non-Jewish people, a.k.a. Christians, who if you were to ask them whom do these feasts belong to, they would say, well, those are Jewish feasts, and because I'm not Jewish, I'm not obligated to keep them. And again, that's a shame. What I want to teach right now, right up front, at the beginning, as we go into the festivals, that they, is that these festivals, these feasts, are not man's feasts. They do not belong to men. They are not Israel's feasts, okay? Is Israel the caretaker? Yes. Israel is the caretaker of these festivals. Is Israel the owner? No. Israel's not the owner of the feasts. God owns the feasts. Israel is the caretaker. And I know you'll find places in the Tanakh where it says the feasts of the Jews. 
Okay? Again, Israel is the caretaker, God is the owner. And the student should carefully read Leviticus 23, verses 1 through 3. I actually should have, should have you read 1 through 4, which I'm going to do for you right now. I've got my JPS um, Tanakh here, uh, JPS uh, Leviticus, actually. Um, it's actually the commentary version, but it's got the Hebrew and the English. And what I want to read for you is verses 1 through 4. Um, and I want to read the Hebrew, and then I want to read the English. And what I want you to do is listen for two things. In the English, you're going to listen for um, you're going to listen for the, fic- the the phrase "fixed times," and then you're going to listen for the phrase "proclaim." Okay, fixed times is one Hebrew term, and proclaim is another Hebrew term. I'll highlight them later on after I read the Hebrew for you. But the reason I want you to listen for these terms is because God is proclaiming to Israel fixed times. God is establishing his calendar among Israel. That's the term fixed times. And then proclaim is the charge, the responsibility that Israel inherits from God. They are God's days, therefore Israel proclaims them as such. Okay? You ready? Here we go. Leviticus chapter 23 verse 1 the Hebrew says, Adonai el Moshe lemor. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Verse 2, Daber el b'nei Yisrael va'amarta alehem mo'adei Adonai asher tikra'u otam mikra'e kodesh elehem mo'adai. Speak to the Israelite people and say to them, These are my fixed times, the fixed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as sacred occasions. Pasuk 3, verse 3, Sheshet yamim ta'ase malacha uviyom hashvi'i shabbat shabbaton mikra kodesh kol malacha lo ta'asu shabbat hi la'adonai b'chol moshvotechem I'm sorry, moshvotechem um, On six days work may be done, but the seventh day there shall be a Sabbath of a complete rest, a sacred occasion. You shall do no work no work, the Hebrew says, lo ta'asu shabbat I'm sorry, kol malacha lo ta'asu. You shall do no work. It shall be a Sabbath of the Lord. Shabbat hi Adonai. Throughout your settlements. And then uh, verse 4 says, Ele mo'ade Adonai mikra e kodesh asher tikra'u otam mo'adam. These are the set times of the Lord, the sacred occasions which you shall celebrate each at its appointed time. Okay, sounds simple enough. Thank you for allowing me to read both the Hebrew and the English. If we were to go back and really just press into there, it's not too hard to figure out that God is commanding Israel with a set of instructions that he is also at the same time charging them with the care of he gives them the uh, logistics of the set days, when when they are to uh, uh, take place on the calendar. And then the Lord carefully instructs Israel to proclaim such days on the days that they land on on the calendar. Thus, Israel is uh, the mouthpiece of God. They are being prophetic. They proclaim according to what God has already given them, the set days, the fixed times uh, of the Lord. The word... Uh, Mikra Kodesh is comprised of two Hebrew words. Kodesh, which from which we've already discussed last week, 
carries the notion of holy or set apart, Kodesh, the root word is Kadash. But Mikra carries the root word Kara, which means to call or to proclaim, it means to shout, it means to cry out. The, uh, the uh, little blessing that I do at the very beginning of each podcast, uh, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the Universe, that is recognized as the Kriyat Shema. I'm sorry, the Kriyat HaTorah. The, the Kriyat HaTorah, Kriyat, has its root word in the same uh, word, Mikra, Mikra Kodesh, a holy proclama- proclamation, a Mikra Kodesh. Okay? And then God goes on to say, that these are my Moedim, or the, the, the Hebrew verse 2, um, said the Ber El Bnei Yisrael, Va'amarta Elehim, Moedei Adonai, Moedei Adonai, Moed, the singular, Moed is an appointment, okay? It is, it is when your boss says, at 2 o'clock I want you in my office, don't be late, that's an appointment, Okay? You don't set the time. Your boss sets the time. It's an appointment. It's a fixed time. The tent of meeting where Moshe met God. Who do you think established the times in which Moshe should be there? You think Moshe, Moshe arbitrarily just wandered into the tent and conjured up God's presence when Moshe wanted to talk to God? I don't think so. What happens is God summoned Moshe, and thus the tent itself, the place where Moshe bet with them, was called the Ohel Moed, the Ohel tent of Moed, of appointment, or thus we translate it tent of meeting sometimes. That was the place where God would meet with them. So again, we have this same phrase showing up in this word, or in this uh, passage. These are my fixed times, the fixed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as sacred occasions. All right, Alehem Moadei Adonai Asher Tikroo Otam Mikra Ekodesh Alehem Moadai. These are my fixed times, which you shall proclaim. You don't establish the fixed times; I establish the fixed times. Says Adonai, they are my established times. You, Israel, are simply commanded to proclaim them in the times that I am already establishing with you. So, again, these are feasts of the Lord. Now, ask yourself a very simple question. If you're listening to my podcast today, or if you're reading my commentary, do you know the Lord? Is He your God? Are you a Jewish person? If you are, I say, Baruch Hashem. Are you a Gentile, a non-Jew? If you are, I also say, Baruch Hashem. Because guess what? It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile. If you name the name of Adonai through his son Yeshua HaMashiach, then the festivals of the Lord are your festivals as well. You are Israel, Jew and Gentile. You are Israel. And God has commanded that you, Israel, proclaim his set-apart times in their designated times. You see, the feasts belong to God, but Israel is the caretaker of the feasts. Just like we're the caretakers of the Torah. This is what Paul says in the book of Romans, that to us, to to the Jewish people, namely Israel, was given the very oracles of God. And guess what? Why would God give us such important days? 
Is it because he's trying to teach us something very important? I think so. As we're going to find out, the feasts were meant to serve as daily, monthly, and yearly reminders of our identity and purpose in the historical plans that Hashem has for whom? For us and for all mankind. You say, no, Ariel, the Torah was given to Israel. It wasn't given to the entire world. It's true, the Torah was given to Israel. But watch this. The central feature, the central component, the central theme of the Torah is, in fact, the Messiah Yeshua. And is not Messiah given to the entire world? That's what John 3.16 tells me. For God so loved Israel that he sent his son. No, that's not what the verse says. The verse says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's right. The Torah was given to Israel to showcase to the rest of the world. God chose us. We are the chosen people. But we're chosen for a mission. And the mission is to be the servant of the Lord. And in our serving our Lord, we demonstrate His holiness to the rest of the world. The festivals that we're going to be studying carry this function as well. They are yearly reminders, monthly, daily, uh, yearly reminders of our identity, Jew and Gentile and the historical plans that Hashem has for mankind. The Torah teaches us, and I'm going to introduce a phrase to you that uh, I've picked up along the way as a messianic. I'm not sure where I got it from, but I like it. I hope you're all going to like it too. The Torah teaches us that the festivals of the Lord are, quote, rehearsals of messianic redemption, end quote. Remember that phrase. If you're using my um, written notes, I think it's highlighted in blue there. Rehearsals of messianic redemption. What do I mean? Well, properly understood, these feasts, and now you're going to find out why they're so important, these feasts, properly understood, they tell the story of the birth and life, atoning work, death, resurrection, promise of power, assurance of dedication, promise of return, and promise of eternal abiding of the Messiah Yeshua in relation to all genuine followers. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that worth studying about, studying them alone? Why the Jewish people would hide that from the rest of the world is beyond me. Conversely, why the Christian church would reject them, again, is equally beyond me. If we properly understood what the festivals are trying to teach us, then we would not hide them under a bushel. No! We would share our light for all to see. Surely, surely it is in the mind of the Holy One, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, for His children to have an intimate knowledge of these aspects of His Son's ministry. Yes, am I stretching things? I don't think I am. Yet, again, for nearly 2,000 years, our appreciation of these feasts within historic Christian circles, which is, again, the reason I'm singling out... Um, Christians for this uh, commentary is because I really can't honestly speak for how many non-Messianic Jewish people will be listening to my podcast. 
but I'm quite certain, given at least the membership that I am able to track via the uh, subscriptions, I'm quite certain also because of the feedback that I received via the email, I'm quite certain that many listeners to this podcast are in fact well-meaning non-Jewish believers who are returning to their Hebraic roots. And for that, I say Baruch Hashem. But again, we need to remind ourselves that there are so many people out there within Christian camps who do not yet know the blessing that lies uh, in store for them, that lay in store for them, if they would just press into the truth that we're going to find in the pages of our Torah study this uh, this afternoon. So, um, again, it, it, it's, it's, it's incumbent upon us to, to raise the challenge to our Christian brothers and sisters who've remained... Um, at arm's length when it comes to studying the festivals. And you know what? The interest in the studies has remained marginal at best and non-existent at worst. Many people just aren't interested in studying the Old Testament. And that's sad. I aim to change that, okay? I hope you uh, aim to help me out. Um, the podcast has now been going for about 35 minutes, and with that I'm going to call it Part A. Stick around for Part B, the Parashat and more, where we're going to pick up our study on the middle of page 3, talking about these um, these festivals. But first, we're going to look at the Sabbath day, and then go from there into the uh, seven festivals of the Lord, okay? Stay tuned. <laughs>